Okay. Good morning. Wow, you look beautiful. I'm so glad I'm part of you. You make me look good. Isn't it good to be together and to worship and to be encouraged, get a view of heaven and called to the wonderful things that God has called us to? Isn't that what it's all about? Yes, we encourage one another in that. So this is living, forgiveness. This is a big topic. It's one that I'm only going to scratch the surface with this morning. And I might offend some of you. I'm going to ask forgiveness right from the start. Please forgive me. If I make you happy, come and let me know. If you become my enemy, I'll just love you. How's that? Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles and you're with me, turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse number 19. And this is the key text of the topic for today. And it says in Matthew 16, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I translate that to mean that we are given the power to loose heaven on earth or to block heaven on earth. And Jesus, it wants us to know that the keys of the kingdom is about giving us the culture and the purposes of the kingdom of God on earth. In fact, he said, the Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Turn to your neighbor and say, I gladly receive it. Amen. He has chosen to give it to you. And all we have to do is receive it. We've been given that power. Jesus taught us to pray just such. In the prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is to heaven. And then he followed it with this phrase. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. You see, they go together. They're not two separate things. They are one and the same thing. Forgiveness is, I think, the key to the kingdom of God on earth. I think it is among the keys of the kingdom. It's one of the main keys for us to realize the kingdom of God every day in our lives. The supporting text I've chosen for today is found in chapter 18, verses 18 to 22 of Matthew. And here Jesus repeats himself. Now, if you have Jesus repeating himself, it means this means something. Pay attention. He says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Verse 19, he says, if two of you agree on this, it will be done. In verse 20, where there are two or three of you doing this, I'm there too. I'm with you. I'm with you in this. This is God's desire that his forgiveness would prevail to every human being because he's not willing that any should perish and that all would be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Peter's been listening to Jesus since chapter 5, where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. And Peter, understanding by this time that Jesus is literally talking about forgiveness 
And he asked him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? How, how often? Up to seven times? It's a good Jewish number. Represents the day of rest. It's over. Complete. Seven times. And Jesus says to him, I say to you, I say to, say to you, up to seven times seventy. Or seventy times seven. And then he proceeded to tell him a story. The story is a simple one. A man owed a great debt to his master. He could not pay it. He had no means. He had no capacity. He didn't have the skills or the gifts to find the funds that he owed his master. So he went to his master in desperation. And he falls at his knees in tears. It helps to cry. And he cries and he cries. He said, Master, I have no way of paying you back. Please forgive me the debt. Would be probably equal to a million dollars. And his master has compassion on him and forgives him the debt. Oh, I, I envision myself someday before Bill Gates falling on my knees. Don't we all? Anyway, Jesus says that this steward of his then was owed some money. So now he's debt free, but he has nothing. So he goes to his friend or his fellow steward and he says, you owe me, pay up. It's payday. And the steward does the same thing, cries, I have no means. Will you please forgive me of the debt? And he says, no, you have to pay every cent. And some of the servants of the master reported this. And he called him in and he said, this is wrong. And so he showed Peter the story that when we're forgiven, we're expected to forgive. And so the first process of that forgiveness is that we receive forgiveness. I want to tell you a little bit, heads up here. You're all forgiven. It cost God his son for every one of us to be forgiven. You are forgiven. Jesus has ended the perpetuation of the law of sin and death. He has drawn a line in it. And underneath it, he has written, paid in full. You are forgiven this morning. You don't have to live with the past. You don't have to live with the brokenness and the pain and the unforgiveness and the bitterness. We're called to something higher through Jesus' forgiveness. And I want to let you know that this morning up front. I want to talk about three forgiveness uh, processes that are laid out in the Scripture. And one is, I call it, the forgiveness as an antidote. Maybe not the best title. Probably should be the last one, but I made it first. And I'm preaching, so I can do that. And so I've made it first. So here's the deal. Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5 probably t- is the longest time that Jesus speaks nonstop. And it's the Sermon on the Mount. And it's there that we find out all the tenets of, the Christ- of Christian discipleship for our lives. And as Jesus is teaching this, he gets to the end of his sermon and he brings up about enemies. A big thing in the Jewish culture. Because you were supposed to hate, hate your enemy. And Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you. And when you do that, you'll be like your Father in heaven. How many want to be like your Father in heaven this morning? Amen. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about releasing forgiveness. We're going to talk about healing forgiveness. But first, let's look at the meaning of forgiveness. Forgiveness means to give or to grant, to allow, to remit, to pardon, and to give up. The four part of forgiven means completely. It translates to the word completely. And to give means to give freely or to give up a desire or power to punish. The Greek word is aphenonii, which translates in English forgiveness. However, we're told that Jesus actually spoke in Aramaic and his words were translated into Greek. And Jesus in Aramaic used the word shavah, which means to release, to separate to abandon. So, you want victory in your life? You know that song we just sang? In the bleeding and in the healing. If you share in the bleeding, you'll share in the healing. We love the testimony of being delivered out of the lion's den. But you have to be in the lion's den to have that story. Nobody wants to be in the lion's den, but you can't have that story. And the truth is, is that God has called us out of the lion's den, and he's called us into his grand story. And Lewis Smead says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. So let's talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness as an antidote. Jesus gives this speech, and I wish he had left it off, but he hasn't. Love your enemies. So that's inclusive of forgiveness because you can't love and not forgive. I remind my wife of that. If you love me, you'll forgive me. This message, forgiving your enemies, is a very challenging one because we can feel very righteous and very just in our judgment of our enemies. And Jesus, in fact, said to us, that if you only forgive those who forgive you, if you only love those who love you, what is that? If you want to be like your father, he forgives his enemies. That's the kind of God we serve. He forgives his enemies. He lets them go. And I called it forgiveness as an antidote because if you don't love your enemy, who's going to do it? God, it's my place. You've put an enemy in my path. It's my place to love him. It's my place to forgive him. It's my place to show him a better way. And it's the only way to avoid becoming like your enemy is to forgive him and to love him. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. Everybody's got some enemies. Amen? Hope none of you are one. So forgiving our enemies is, involves some process, but I want to talk about forgiveness that is probably a bigger challenge for us, and that is forgiving those in our lives or those that we are in some level of relationship with, because those are the people that have the real capacity to hurt us. 
And so I want to talk about, for a bit, forgiveness as releasing, or releasing forgiveness. This is found in Matthew 18 that we have referenced where Peter asked, how many times? How many times, Lord, do I have to do this? Like my brother has offended me so many times. Am I supposed to keep forgiving him? And if I do, is there a limit? Is there a ceiling on my forgiveness when somebody repeatedly offends me? How often do I forgive the repeating offender? How many people have some repeaters in your life? How many people are not being honest right now? I'm married. I'm a repeat offender. Right, honey? I need forgiveness every day. If you don't believe me, talk to Marilyn when the service is over. Every once in a while, she needs forgiveness. Just every once in a while. But forgiveness has to do with doing life. You can't possibly do life if you're going to be unforgiving. It's impossible. And this type of forgiveness that Peter is talking about requires an internal process, a process where one has to work through the hurt, gain some level of understanding about what happened, and a deal with the offense, and attempt to rebuild some sense of safety, if not for the relationship, at least for yourself, and let go the grudge. It's so easy to hold on to a grudge. I held on to grudges with my father for a very long time. You got to let go of the grudge. There's a process to it. You can't just say, I let it go. You have to actually go inside, have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. What am I doing with this? How have I internalized this? How have I been offended? How do I forgive my brother, my sister? And how do I let go the grudge? This can be done without the offending party. It can be done with a parent who's passed on. It can be done with a marriage that has failed and you're five years past it, but you're still taken up with the story. It's called releasing forgiveness. Let me tell you the story of Mike. Mike grew up in Ontario in a military family. His father, I think, was a drill sergeant, and so he treated... Mike, just like he did in the training camp. And he moved around to a lot of places. And so there was lacking in Mike's life when I met him a lot of love and sincere compassion and forgiveness. And Mike was carrying a truckload of offenses toward his father. And so it came out in hatred. Whenever he encountered somebody that acted like or smelled like or did like his father, he was responding to them as though it was his father. He was living out of that story. And I met Mike, and he was a mess. And I said, Mike, you have to go back home. He said, my father's dead. I said, you have to go back to the cemetery. Can't do it. So let me fast forward the story. As we journeyed with Mike, Mike went back to Ontario, and he went to the cemetery. So when I got to that cemetery, I got to that gate, and I could not go in that cemetery. It was like an iron wall was in front of me. 
And he said, I fell on my knees and I literally crawled over the threshold into that cemetery. And then I was able to go find my father's grave. And I sat at his grave. And the first thing I did as I was there, I started to talk to him, but he said, I began to cry. And I cried and cried and cried. Buckets of tears deep from down inside of me. I wept at that grave. And then as I was able to get to the place of using some words, I began to express anger toward him. All the anger I felt towards my father because he was not very affectionate. He didn't touch me. He didn't communicate love to me. And he was a harsh man. He was a a stern man. And, And whenever he disciplined me, he overdid it. And so I had all this anger inside of me towards my father. You see, love and forgiveness is communicated with words and deeds and ceremony. Words say it, deeds show it, ceremony seals it. When you celebrate a birthday, your first day of school, when you turn 13, when you get married, when you, when she gets married, Mike, uh, Ben, you got to do a ceremony. Not a marriage one. You got to bless them. You got to bless them. And that's how it's communicated. We're created for blessing, to be a blessing and to be blessed. But we live in a fallen world, we're born into broken relationships and families. And so his father loved him, but his father didn't know how to do it. He didn't have the skills because somebody hadn't taught him how to do it. And so Mike said, I just poured out my heart. I had found somebody in the church that would function as a father for Mike, but he couldn't make a connection because of all this storage of offense he was carrying. And when Mike came back from Ontario, he was able to connect with this man in the church. And I'll never forget, I don't know, Judy, if you remember that, but we were at Alberta Beach Camp, and Mike literally went and sat in this man's lap like a little boy across his lap as the father held him and he began to enter into a relationship with this man and he could model what a real father is like and he began to show him affection and touch incredible story mike got release so there's a releasing forgiveness even if even if the the offending party is not present you can deal with what you have stored and you can be healed in jesus name Why? Because he loves you and he has a great future for you. This is the living that Jesus offers us that if we go through the bleeding, we'll experience the healing. That's what he has for you. That's what he has for me. I myself in a personal testimony of that. The process includes expressing the emotion, understanding the why, rebuilding safety, and letting go the grudge. Are you carrying a grudge this morning? I can tell you it's blocking heaven in your life. If you're carrying a grudge, it's blocking the forgiveness and the goodness of your Father. You're not enjoying it to the level that you can that's available to you. He's given it. He's never going to retract it. He's never going to take it back. He's never going to recall it. There's no recall on his forgiveness and his love. And you have to let go the grudge. If you're carrying a grudge this morning, Bring it to the foot of the cross. If the offending party is not with you, imagine yourself at the foot of the cross together and watch as Jesus bleeds and dies for both of you and loves on both of you. 
This forgiveness sometimes requires a process and repeating. And Jesus told Peter, you you forgive as many times as is needed. As many times as is needed. For the goal of this forgiveness is the release of the offender and the healing of one's own heart. God loves you, and he wants your heart healed. Thirdly, there's a healing forgiveness. Forgiveness is healing. This is called relational forgiveness. This is the forgiveness that requires reconciliation. And reconciliation can't happen without repentance or without ownership of the offense. And so, in relationship with my wife, we've been married in May 8th. It'll be 37 years, honey. And we've only just started. I mean, she's got Excel sheets out. She's planning the next 20 years for us. I said, I think you've used up all the Excel sheets that exist. She has to have a plan. I don't need a plan. I just pick it up as it comes to me. But I thank God for the plan because if I don't have a plan, I mess up. And so it's so good. 40 years coming up, we're going to have a big party when we hit 40. Relationship forgiveness is critical to staying connected to one another. There's an exchange about what happened an expression of the hurt, a listening for remorse, and a restoration of trust. This is living, folks. You see, God doesn't only want you forgiven. He wants you reconciled. He has reconciliation in mind for you. He has a plan for you. He wants you to succeed. He wants, he has a future and a hope for you. He has something that's so incredible that he wants you to begin to experience right now here in time and space with the people you're doing life with. The Women of Purpose show, don't do life alone. See, you can't work out your salvation without the body of Christ. And we need to be loving one another, forgiving one another. Now note that a healed experience is not a forgotten experience. That's a fallacy, forgive and forget. However, forgiving what we can't forget is emotionally letting go in order to create a new way of remembering it. Remembering that we have a future and a life in God, and that's what we're going to live out together. So we're going to do the hard work of talking, expressing emotion, being heard, repenting. You see, saying, I'm sorry you were hurt is more blame saying this, I did or said something that hurt you. Now, I, my wife taught me this, okay, by the way. I did or said something that hurt you. How can I make it right? Now, that's repentance. Because you're owning your part in the story. In the early days of our marriage, I used to remind her where she failed. That didn't work very well. But when I started taking ownership of where I failed and never worried about her ownership, she actually took ownership without me telling her. Are we experiencing that, Pastor Ben? Heather? <laughs> you see, there's only two options with an offense. 
you deal with it, complete the emotions around it, forgive one another, and move on in a preferred future, or you store it. And when you store it, you become like a mic. Let me tell you the story of Phyllis. Phyllis, awesome lady. She was from Ireland. I met her through my uncle, who met her on the golf course, and he shared with her about Jesus. He was telling her about Jesus, and she had kind of a closed door to Jesus because she said, I'm a recovering Catholic. What she meant by that was that she was conceived out of wedlock in Ireland, and her mother was from an aristocratic family, a rich family, and that was unacceptable in that culture. So she stayed in the house while she was pregnant until the day came that she delivered her child, and then she gave her child up to the convent, and the nuns took her in. And she said, I was raised by nuns, and there was a lot of guilt and shame put on me, so I'm a recovering Catholic. That's what she told me when I met her. And I just kept reminding her that Jesus loved her. And she said, I have a hole in my heart. I said, Jesus wants to fill that hole. No, she said, Jesus didn't create that hole. My mother did. She rejected me. She gave me up. And I said, Phyllis, you have to go back to Ireland. I said, is your mom still living? She as far as I know. I said, you have to go back to Ireland and find her. She said, that's not going to happen. So we journeyed with Phyllis. She would come to church off and on, sporadically. She told me, I can't come to your church because I get too emotional. I said, that's, Phyllis, that's why you need to come. Because you've got so many emotions. You need to complete them. You need, you've stored them. You need to complete them. And so Phyllis, the long, short story of it, she went back to Ireland. And when she came home, I said, did you find your mother? She said, yes. But I didn't introduce myself to her. I said, Phyllis, why not? She said, I was so afraid that she would reject me, and I could not handle that. How would I live with that rejection? I, it's better to imagine that she loves me and that she wouldn't reject me rather than find out that. I said, Phyllis, you have to go back to Ireland. <laughs> She's a pastor. I can't. I can't even afford it. A year later, she came She'd been coming to church off and on, and she came and she said, my husband and I have decided that I'm going back to Ireland, and I'm going to find my mother. Unknown to her, she was struggling with ovarian cancer, and so she went back to Ireland. She found her mother, and she introduced herself to her mother, because her mother would not have known her otherwise. And her mother just wept and cried and said, Phyllis, I'm so glad to meet you. I've lived with guilt and shame my whole life because I never wanted to give you up. I carried you for nine months. I never wanted to give you up, but the culture and the family felt I could not keep you. Will you forgive me? And they loved on each other. She was there for a week. She had to come home. On her way home, she fell quite ill, and she was hospitalized in Toronto, and I got the message. And so it was arranged that she would get transferred to the hospital in Grand Cash where I was pastoring. And I went to the hospital to visit her. I said, Phyllis, how did it go? She said, Pastor, the hole is filled. I said, you met your mom? She said, yes. And we reunited. She loves me. We forgave each other. 
And the hole was filled. I said, so your mom filled the hole? She said, no, Jesus filled the hole. I said, okay, Phyllis, we're going to get the people in the church praying for your healing. No, pastor. I've had enough experience in this life. Pray that I go to be with Jesus. I'm done with this world. And we agreed, and we prayed. And Phyllis, within a week, went home to be with Jesus. I'm going to meet Phyllis. We're going to talk about that story. You see, forgiveness is powerful. Do you know why? Because it's from another place. It's from another kingdom. It's from another culture. I'm going to ask the servers if you would begin to serve the communion this morning. And as we do this, I want to draw attention to the Scripture in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted toward each other. Forgive each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Folks, this morning you're forgiven, and you're forgiven to be reconciled. You're forgiven so that you can come back into relationship with your Creator, and you can begin to live out the kingdom of heaven in your life, and you can bring it in to your families, into your community, into your workplace. And some of you might be going through times that there's no way to be reconciled in the relationship. Let me encourage you this morning, be reconciled in your heart. Be reconciled in your heart. Be healed in your heart. Don't carry that into other relationships. Is it easy? No. But your health and your well-being is truly worth it, folks. Forgiveness, they're finding out in the medical field that forgiveness actually has a lot to do with your mental healthiness and your physical healthiness. Forgiveness is powerful because it releases, first of all. And secondly, it brings us into relationship. Go ahead and serve the emblems this morning as we begin the process of looking at Jesus. Now, you might say, Pastor, I can't do this. It's too hard. In the first service, I had somebody come to me after, and they said, I can't forgive my mother. I've tried. I've prayed. I've asked God to help me. I can't forgive my mother. And I said, okay, stop trying to forgive your mother. She said, what? I said, stop trying to forgive your mother. Instead, when you worship your God, offer him the pain that's in your heart. That's your first act of worship. And keep offering it until God heals your heart enough that you can forgive your mother. Because you see, God is able to do the impossible. But we can't worship over and above our pain. We've got to offer our pain to him. But everything that has breath, praise the Lord, the scripture says. So start with the pain. Worship him with the pain. Give it to him. Let it be as incense unto him. And I can guarantee you that he will respond to your heart if you give him that pain. Because he's the one who told us, forgive one another. And as we share in the communion this morning, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that even though Jesus was God and he was equal with God, he did not hold on to that. He didn't 
He didn't hold on to the offenses and say, I'm God and you're done. Instead, he offered himself, it says. It says, in fact, he emptied himself even to the point of death. You say, Pastor, I can't do that. You can do it. Christ lives in you. You can do it. He loves you. He is for you, not against you. He wants you to experience the lion's mouth being shut and his jaw being locked so that you can climb into his purposes for your life. You can do this. If Christ did not grab hold of his equality with God but emptied himself, you can empty yourself of that pain. You can give it to him. And I can assure you that he will receive it with thanks and he will give back to you life and freedom and liberty and healing. And you'll be restored in your relationships. If not restored, if that's not possible, if there's no repentance, no reconciliation, you can be released. You can be released. And I believe that these first two are paramount to us loving our enemies. Because when our hearts are healed, we know who we are, and we know whose we are, and we know how loved and accepted we are in Him, so we can love and accept even our enemies. So, Father, I thank you now. We're about to receive the cup and the bread. We thank you that as we take this bread, let's hold it up. As we take this symbol this morning, this is, this is the crux of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he loves us. He's forgiven us. He's reconciled himself with us. And all we do is respond in reconciliation to him. We accept his acceptance of us. So, Father, we hold up this bread that is a symbol of the flesh of your son. And we thank you for his broken body. We thank you for his willingness to empty himself. We thank you that he was willing to have his body stripped and torn and nailed to a cross. And even in that moment, to look at those who did it and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So, Father, we receive this bread this morning, this forgiveness, this healing. And, Father, may there be people healed this morning as they take the bread. In Jesus' name, let's take together. The bread represents his brokenness for us and our brokenness surrendered to him. But the cup represents the new covenant, the new future the new plan. And so we drink this cup this morning and we say we are new creations in Christ Jesus through this cup. Let's drink together. Thank you, Father, for the cup of blessing. Thank you that you took the wrath so that when we drink, it's a blessing. 
And when we drink, we receive life. When we drink, when we eat, we're set apart to be with you and to be in relationship with others. Thank you for your body this morning. I pray that there may be people in this room who maybe need to connect with others in this room and walk out some of their brokenness, walk out some of the pain in their hearts and begin to start living by doing forgiveness and receiving healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Ben.